Section two of Wings and the Child by E. Nesbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two New Ways. What, we ask with anxious gravity, what is the best sort of teaching for children? One might as sanely ask what is the best sort of spectacles for men, or the best size in gloves for women? And the blind, coarse generalization which underlies that question is the very heart and core of the muddled, musty maze we call education. We talk of the best sort of education for children, as we might talk of the best sort of polish for stoves, the best sort of nourishment for mice. Stoves are all alike. They vary in ugliness, perhaps, but the iron soul of one is as the iron soul of the other. The polish that is good for one is good for all. Mice may, and do, vary in size and colour. Their mousehood does not vary, nor their taste for cheese. In the inner nature, in the soul and self of it, each child is different from any other child, and the education that treats children as a class, and not as individual human beings, is the education whose failure is bringing our civilization about our ears even as we speak. Each child is an explorer in a new country, an explorer with its own special needs and curiosities. We put up iron railings to keep the explorers to our own sordidly asphalted paths. The little free wild creatures would seek their meat from God. We round them into herds, pen them in folds, and feed them with artificial foods, drab, flat oil-cakes all alike not considering that for some brown nuts and red berries, and for some the new clean green grass, may be the bread of life. Or, if you take the mind of a child to be a garden wherein flowers grow that might be trained to beauty, you bring along your steam-roller, and crush everything to a flat field where you may grow cabbages. It is so good for the field, you say, because you like cabbages. Liberty is one of the rights we claim for ourselves, though God knows we get little enough of it, and use still less. And liberty is one of the rights that a child above all needs, every possible liberty of thought, of word, of deed. The old systems of education seem to have found it good to coerce a child for the simple sake of coercion, to make it do what the master chose, to make it leave undone those things which it wished to do and to do those things which it did not wish to do, nay more, wished violently and conclusively not to do. To force the choice of the teacher on the child, to override the timid natural impulses of the child with the hard hoofs of the teacher's individuality, to crush out all initiative, to force the young supple mind into a mould, to lop the budding branches, nip off the sensitive seeking tendrils, to batter down the child's will by the brute force of the grown-up will, to break the child's spirit, as the cursed phrase used to run. This was, in effect, what education meant. There was a picture in Punch, I remember. At least I have forgotten the picture, but I remember the legend. Sissy, go and see what Bobby's doing, and tell him not to. It did not much matter what you made a child do, so long as it was something against the grain. He was to learn, not what he with his wonderful new curiosities and aptitudes longed to learn, 
but what you wished to teach, you with your dulled senses, dulled in the same bitter school as that in which he was now a sad learner. Generation after generation has gone on, pounding away at the old silly game, each generation anxious and eager to hurt the new one as it, in its time, was hurt. Each generation must, one would have thought, have remembered what things hurt children, and how much these things hurt, and yet this intolerable cycle of bullying and punishment and repression went on and on and on. Children were bullied and broken, and grew up to bully and break in their turn. It must be that this was because the grown-ups did not remember. Those who have the care of children, who work for them, who teach them, should be those who do remember, those who have not forgotten what it feels like to be a child, any sort of child. For, though children are all different, there is a common measure among them as there is among men. A law for men cannot be good if it be made, as indeed but too often happens, by those who have forgotten what it used to feel like to be a man. And what sort of poetry do you get from one who has forgotten beauty and sorrow, and the spring, and how it feels to be young and a lover? And if the people who have the care of children have forgotten what it feels like to be a child, those who do remember should remind them. They should be reminded how it feels not to be so very much higher than the table, how it feels to be not so clever as you are now, and so much more interested in so much more, how it feels to believe in things and in people as you did when you were new to the journey of life, to explore every road you came to, to trust every person you met. It is a long time ago, but can you not remember the days when right and wrong were as different as milk and mud, when you knew it was really wrong to be naughty, and really good to be good? when you felt that your mother could do no wrong, and that your father was the noblest and bravest of men? Do you remember the world of small and new and joyous and delightful things? Try to remember it if you would know how to help a child instead of hindering it. Try to look at the world with the clear, clean eyes that once were yours in the days when you had never read a newspaper or deceived a friend. You will then be able to see again certain ideals, unclouded and radiant, which the dust of the crowded highway and the smears of getting on have dimmed and distorted, quite simple ideals of love, faith, unselfishness, honour, truth. I know these words are often enough on the lips of all of us, but a child's ear will be able to tell whether the words spring from the lips or the heart. Look back and you will see that you yourself were also able to distinguish these things, once. Education as it should be, the unfolding of a flower, not the distorting of it, is only possible to those who are willing and able themselves to become as little children. It is because certain great spirits have done this, and have tried to teach others to do it, that reforms in education have begun to be at least possible. Froebel, Pestalozzi, Signora Montessori, and many a lesser star has shone upon a new path. And public interest has centred more and more on the welfare of the child. Books are written, societies formed, newspapers founded in the interests of the child, 
and true education becomes a possibility. And well indeed it is for us that this is so. For the education of the last three hundred years has led, in all things vital and spiritual, downhill all the way. We have gone on frustrating natural human intelligences and emotions, inculcating false doctrines, and choking with incoherent facts the souls which asked to be fed with dreams come true. Till now our civilization is a thing we cannot look at without a mental and moral nausea. We have, in our countrysides, peasants too broken for rebellion, in our cities, the mortal sickness of a mind too unhappy to be kind. If ever we are to be able to look ourselves and each other in the face again, it will be because a new generation has arisen, in whose ears the voice of God and his angels has not ceased to sound. If only we would see the things that belong to our peace, and lead the children instead of driving them, who knows what splendid thoughts and actions they, in their natural development, might bring to the salvation of the world? In the palace of education, which the great minds have designed, and are designing, many stones will be needed, and so I bring the little stone I have hewn out and tried to shape, in the hope that it may fit into a corner of that great edifice. For if anything is to be done, it is necessary that all who have anything to give shall give it. As Francis Bacon said, Nothing can so much conduce to the drawing down, as it were, from heaven, a whole shower of new and profitable inventions, as this, that the experiments of many may come to the knowledge of one man, or some few, who by mutual conference may wet and sharpen one another, so that by this arts may flourish, and, as it were, by a commixture and communication of rays, inflame one another. This sagacity by literate experience may in the mean project and scatter for the benefit of man many rudiments to knowledge which may be had at hand. And that is why I have left for a little while the telling of stories, and set myself to write something down of what I know about children, know by the grace of memory, and by the dreams of childhood, to me, thank God, persistent and imperishable. End of section 2